Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sustainable-ish podcast and to episode 177, which, fair warning, is the last episode before a little Christmas break for me and the podcast. Now this episode is going out on the 15th of December, so peak Christmas madness, I suspect. I really hope your prep is going okay and your stress levels are manageable. When I hosted the crap-free Christmas webinar, Uh, Back in November, I think I did that. I asked people to share what they wanted less of this Christmas and what they wanted more of. And I think it's important to remember that no one said they wanted more presents and stuff. What people wanted more of was time with family and friends, walks outside, laughter, fun, all the things we might suspect. And I'm really trying to keep that in mind. And since our year buying nothing new, which was 11 years ago, I have been very slowly trying to wean us off the idea that Christmas is all about the presents and the stuff and accumulating more, more, more. And it's been slow going, I will confess, and I actually still find it hard. My mum's love language language was very definitely giving presents. So for me, there's a really strong link in my head and my heart. And it feels really countercultural, doesn't it? Especially at this time of year to try and think less. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And if it's something that you find challenging too, if you do, please know that you're not alone. And please know that it's not something that you're going to fix overnight in one Christmas. It will take time. Um, It will happen slowly, but I promise you, you will make some progress. This episode is also going out in the aftermath of COP28 and I don't feel in any way qualified to comment knowledgeably on the outcomes but I didn't want to not mention it when it's actually a pretty important event isn't it Uh, in the sustainability calendar. It's important because COP is still the only mechanism that we have to bring all the countries around the world together in one place to discuss a global response to climate change but It's important to remember that COPs are not the only mechanism that there is for enacting change. So keep that perspective in mind when you're reviewing the uh, news coming out of COP28. So I guess looking at that news, the biggest was that for the first time in its 28-year history, fossil fuels was even mentioned in an agreement, which feels quite frankly bonkers, doesn't it? Shows the power of the fossil fuel lobby in resisting any um, moves to name fossil fuels as the number one culprit driving climate change, which they absolutely are. Um, So first time that fossil fuels uh, were mentioned in an agreement and world leaders have agreed to, and the wording is, transition away from fossil fuels. Now, I've read lots of very different responses to the outcomes of this year's COP, from it's a total failure to it's a good outcome. I think one of the most useful takes on COP28 and on all of the COPs, uh, I find, comes from the Outrage and Optimism podcast. If you're not already listening to that, do go and check it out and subscribe. It really is incredibly useful. It's hosted by Christiana Figueres, Tom Rivet-Karnak and Paul Dickinson. And Christiana and Tom were both absolutely instrumental in bringing about the Paris Agreement in 2015. So they have a really deep understanding of the COP process and what progress actually looks like. So this is a comment uh, that I'm going to read out from Tom Rivet-Karnak, Uh, from their latest episode and I'll link to that in the show notes and as I said I would really encourage you to go and check out the podcast it's brilliant so this uh, was one of the comments from Tom he says the outcome is a signal that's the important thing to bear in mind we're not going to be saved by a cop decision that says one thing and then everyone goes away and implements it what we're going to be saved by is a signal from the cop that gives confidence to entrepreneurs and investors who then deploy capital, which then creates the space for policy, and that policy enables a more ambitious COP. And that loop of increasing ambition is what will actually support us moving towards solutions. What I would come away from the COP saying is, it sent the signal that that ambition loop can be accelerated, is in the collective interest and has the world's governments behind it. Is it full of loopholes? Of course it is. Does it go far enough? Of course it doesn't. However, as a signal, as part of that mixture, I think it's actually pretty special. So thank you to Tom Rivet-Karnak for that. For his summary, um, as I said, there are lots of different summaries of the outcomes. So um, have a little read around, see what you think. I would love to hear your thoughts. And very quickly, before we get on with this uh, today's uh, interview, 
I already feel like I've witted on for far too long, but if you haven't had enough of my dulcet tones already, I was on another podcast this week, which was hugely exciting because I'm a huge fan of this podcast. Uh, it's called John Richardson and the Future Noughts. It's with an actual real life professional comedian, John Richardson, him off the telly, um, and Future Noughts, Ed Gillespie and Mark Stevenson. In the podcast, they talk about all kinds of different things through a very broad lens of sustainability. And they mentioned at the end of a recent episode that they wanted to do an episode on the future of pets. So I dashed off a quick email that basically said, pick me, pick me, <laughs> suggesting myself with my ex-vets hat on and the brilliant Justine Shotton, who is a past president of the British Veterinary Association. And much to my surprise, they said yes. And we had a lovely hour chatting about the future of pets. Uh, that episode was released uh, yesterday, I think, if you're listening to this on the 15th. It came out on Thursday the 14th. I'll link to it um, in the show notes if you want to have a listen. Or you can just search for John Richardson and the Future Nords wherever you get your podcasts. Right. Now I really have gone on for far too long, so let's get on with introducing today's guest, who is William Eccles from The Commitment. The Commitment is a campaign asking us to commit to voting for a healthy planet. And you do this by heading to their website, and I'm going to give it to you now, and we're going to give it to you several times throughout the show, www.thecommitment.uk, and I've linked to it in the show notes as well. Um, you go to that website, you hit the make the commitment button and you tick the box that says I commit to vote only for politicians who work for urgent action on the climate and nature. As we and we discuss in the episode just why this is so important and the really clever ways that William and his team are using those commitments to engage with MPs and to give them that mandate that they really need to be braver in their calls and support for action on climate and nature. As you'll hear in the episode, when I came across the commitment earlier this year, I stopped what I was doing and I did just that. And then I shared it on social media, asking other people to do the same. And the team at the commitment, this is slightly scary, were able to track the fact that me sharing that meant other people stopped what they were doing and made their own commitment. But they know that lots of people got distracted in between hearing about it and actually doing it. So that number could potentially have been much, much higher. Now, what I would really love, it's going to come as no surprise to you, as a result of this episode, is for them to have another, shall we call it, mini surge of commitments. So there's a point in the podcast where William invites you to pause the podcast and to go and to do it, to visit the website, um, to make the commitment, to click the box, to fill out all your details. If you can't wait until that point, please, please, please pause now and go and do it. And funnily enough, I will remind you again at the end to go and do it. So last time I shared... They had 27 extra people sign up to the commitment. I reckon we can smash that, can't we? Let's see if we can. Um, I will be back after the interview with this week's good news and another reminder to pause and make your commitment. But in the meantime, enjoy. Hello, William. Welcome to Sustainable-ish. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jen. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. And I really admire what you do at Sustainable-ish. Oh, that's really kind. Thank you very much. I didn't even pay you to say that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. It's the um, truth. <laughs> it's the truth. Can you uh, kick us off by uh, telling us uh, who you are? I'm always curious to know where people are in, in the country as well. Um, I'm sitting in West, far West Wales, where we had a gale last night and more rain than you can easily count. Wow. Um, and who am I? I'm the director of the commitment. Okay, next next very obvious question leading on from that. What is the commitment? Um, very simply, what the commitment uh, encourages people to do is to use their vote for the planet. Um, so it's a baby step in, in sustainable-ish terms, um, but it's a really, really powerful one. Um, and what they do is they make a commitment to vote only for politicians who will work for urgent action on the climate and nature. Um, and we then take those commitments and show politicians how much their voters want action and that they'll vote for it. Mm. So what's your what's your background? How did you get into this? Um, I have a business background um, and, and until pretty much 15 years ago when I suddenly woke up probably about 50 years too late um, to the to the climate and nature crisis. And I've been working more or less full time on those ever since. Wow. So, and what was that? Somebody used the term 
um ecopiphany to me like what what was what was the ecopiphany what was the wake up thing my, that made my, you wake up? yeah no there was there was a very much there was a moment i i took i took a week's mini sabbatical and went solitary like a hermit and and i took quite a number of books on all sorts of things with me um but um the it, the it was the climate that really got to me if you like and um and I, I was working with young people, particularly disadvantaged young people at that time as well. But I just thought, well, we won't any of us um, disadvantaged or whatever. We won't we won't have a future unless we address this one. So I switched and um, that's what I've done ever since. And was there a particular book that you can remember that was the like, oh, my God? Um, well, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth had come out mm. before and it had all those pictures pictures and graphs in it and so if I pointed to one book it would be that one wow I have I have to confess I haven't I think I'm too scared to read it the other one I'm too scared to read is um uninhabitable earth I can't remember I can't remember who's who's written that one out but I, I think I might have started reading that and went oh my god my mental health can't cope with this one and then put, put that one away it's so no. interesting how um there are for a lot of people there are these like standout moments I uh you know a few people on the podcast have said it was the the Extinction Rebellion strikes and things like that in in 2019 that really made them go oh 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 wow like this is this is bad and um very often very often it's a drip 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 and it's a slow and steady kind of thing but some for some people there is that like wow this take mm. the take the blue pill or whatever from the matrix so um so did you literally kind of you know abandon the business that you were you were running at the time and do a complete about turn or what was the transition i there was an overlap so i was sort of i, I the the line was going down with with business and and um and then up with with um climate and and nature and in fact to start with i worked mostly on biodiversity um on the basis that it's it's just as serious in some yeah. ways as climate and maybe more immediate. Yes. Um, and it was just so much more in the shade, uh, hardly by comparison, very little resource and um, very little action um, by comparison with climate change. So, And I can imagine like 15 years ago, even because even now I think I read something that biodiversity gets eight times less media coverage than biodiversity loss gets eight times less media coverage than, than the climate crisis. And, and so, I can imagine 15 years ago that situation would have been you would have possibly even felt like a real kind of pioneer talking about nature and biodiversity loss at that time. Yeah, I suppose well, there were lots of really amazing people already mm. there. Um, but I mean, I think you're right. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you look at if you look at the um at the cops, I think nearly everyone, or anyway, a very large proportion, know about um the climate cops. They may yeah. not know that there's one going on right now in of all places dubai yes um, <laughs> but how many people know about biodiversity cops many 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 fewer um i only uh, found like last year was the first time i heard it referenced and that was the 15th biodiversity cop and i was like oh this has been <laughs> happening but i thought i was pretty tuned in and completely not and that was the first time i'd heard it referenced yeah and and a lot of climate organizations have now begun to relate the two issues and and biodiversity has gone right up the agenda for yes. lots of people so that's great and um, and am i right in saying that um like big companies are now having to report on their sort of carbon emissions and disclose on that and things but there's new legislation coming in around reporting this idea of um sort of biodiversity footprints and how we start to measure the impact of uh businesses and services and all those sorts of things on on biodiversity and I, I that blows we, we've all got quite familiar with the carbon footprint but the idea of a, a biodiversity footprint um feels much harder to manage I don't know if it is oh much much harder um because it's also complicated and the relationships are really complex between different elements of biodiversity and um human activity and development and and so on um and and it is one of the issues of biodiversity that it is really hard to measure mm. the impact because so much of it's indirect. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's still a good thing to do within reason. You can, you can over-regulate and yes. then people get really upset. And it, it takes lots of resource that might better be spent doing good things. Um, that's harder to measure, sorry, harder to measure. Yeah. 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 
So how long's the, or I guess let's start, why, where did the idea come from for the commitment? Um, well, you mentioned Extinction Rebellion and um, I happened to be there on the, the first um, the, the first event. I was, I was wearing a suit. I was the only person wearing a suit. Um, and and uh, one of the guys there said, please always wear a suit. Um, we want to show people that it's not just uh, people who don't wear suits who yes. and care about these things. It's not and, just the crusty uh, hippies. I think I was a crusty suit wearer. But anyway. <laughs> and and um, the the it was XR obviously working on exactly the same issues, um, the climate and biodiversity crisis. And uh, but outside government and and wanting the system to change mm. and very much an NVDA. Sorry, should I not say that? A non-violent NVDA is. Oh, no, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, non-violent direct action. Non-violent yeah, direct action approach, yeah. and and um, you know, amazing. Uh, it, but I, I felt that we could also do with something working with the system inside the system that had the same objectives. Mm. So. The commitment works on the on the biodiversity, the, the climate and biodiversity crisis. That's that's what it does. Um, mm. So we have exactly the same objectives, because XR is also putting pressure on government, and um, their focus is pretty much entirely on government, and so is ours. So it was it was around then that the idea of the commitment was was born. And is it just you, or is there a, a team of you behind it? We're a we're a small team. Um, and and we have uh, people radiating as wonderful volunteers as well. Um, yeah. But we we are a small team, and we've what we've effectively done is we've run a kind of deep pilot. Um, we've done lots of research. You can see it on our website, and um, we've run experiments on how to do the two things we we do, which are gather commitments and take them to politicians. Mm. We've done all of that on a on a. I mean, we might say twelve thousand commitments, which is the number we have, is more than a pilot. But actually, we need many more to yeah. have have impact. And so now we're sitting back and we're in a pause where we're thinking, okay, how what's the best of what we've done, and how do we how do we take this forward so it has real impact? Yeah, and um, and we know that there's going to be an election next year here in the UK, um, and it's one of those things, isn't it, that we're told one of the most important things we can do is vote. And I kind of get that, but also I understand why people are like, is it though, you know, I'm in a very safe Tory seat. It makes absolute, I'd be interesting to see what happens at, at this election, but in previous elections, it's made absolutely no difference whatsoever how I voted, um, you know, and, and it feels to a certain extent like a like a wasted vote. Um, so, and then you start thinking, well, we need to, we need to get rid of um, proportional uh, um, first past the post and all those, you know, and, and so then it starts to feel like this massive kind of uphill battle. Somebody's just said to you, go out and vote. And then you was like, oh, my God, we need to structure the whole restructure the whole political system. And, and very quickly you can sink into overwhelm. But um, your your contention, obviously, is like a vote is still a really incredibly valuable thing that we can go out and do. Yes, I mean, starting with the the system and PR, um, whatever you might think of the current system, and it it is rather chaotic and it's grown over a long, long time. Um, we don't think there's time to change it. So whatever you think of it, you've, mm. you you need to work with it. Mm. Um, and then on wasted votes, um, we really don't believe that. I mean, I'm I'm not. I'm not I'm not going to talk about individual parties because we're really strictly impartial. But um, parties that seem to be doing really well um, in their projected policies sometimes take back backward steps and the other way around. Mm. Um, parties that look as if they're really not going anywhere. Um, they, they change for the, for the better. Um, and your vote is not wasted because even if you're in a in a seat with a big majority and it's pretty much inevitable who's going to win um there are two things you can do one is you can vote for another party and everyone will notice that the numbers for that party are, are, are bigger than they thought they would be right um and so they pay attention to that and 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 the second one is if you if you make the commitment um 
the when we take it to your politician they will know that that's the thing you really care about and you care about even more than the other issues that they're campaigning on so you know education health immigration all of these are being talked about at the moment as as top issues climate's getting in there now but it it but if you vote for whatever party they don't know that it's it's um it's the climate that you really right. care about yeah. So you make the commitment. We have a number. We can take it to them. And actually, we'll we'll give them your first name as well. And when you say why you've made the commitment, we'll give you give them that. And if you've yeah. uploaded a photo, we'll show them that. Um, so they get a real personal, emotional storytelling um, interaction, indirect interaction with you as the voter. Um, so it's 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 all kind of much more. It's much more worth it than you might think. Yeah, and. There's a, a study and I always I always quote it and I must go back and um, I'm sure I've got the source somewhere. But there was a study done in 2017 that asked MPs in the UK why they weren't taking more action on climate. And the vast majority of them said it's because they weren't hearing from their constituents, from us, that it was an issue. And I feel like that might have changed a bit in sort of 2019 when we, like, we had XR and we had Greta and we had school strikes. But then we had the pandemic and we had the war in Ukraine and we've got the situation in Gaza and we've got a cost of living crisis. and um, We've we've seen, you know, climate has slipped down people's priority agendas, but it's also, I think, slipped down politicians' agendas if it ever made it up. And politicians will never do anything unless they feel they have a mandate for change. And we that's in our power, isn't it? We can give them that mandate. We can let them know that exactly as you're doing with the commitment that we we want politicians who are taking more ambitious climate action and that we will vote for that and so it is what you're doing I think is so incredibly useful yeah well thank you I mean there are obviously the three forces that there's what we do in our own lives which is of course where you focus there's what businesses do and they have enormous power and then there's what governments do mm. and I think I'm going to say something controversial about politicians. Um, they get a bad press, and sometimes that's for good reason. But mostly, this is the controversial bit, mostly they are decent people who want to serve the people who elect them. And they get beaten up the whole time, whether they have those positive motivations or not. Um, and, you know, they get a lot of negativity thrown at them. And if they're treated positively, and that's what we do, it works a lot better. In fact, mm. I, I, there was a youth worker once said to me, fantastic guy called Robbie. Uh, Robbie said once, to me, I said to him, Look, Robbie, um, you've been amazing with these young people. They've been really, really challenging. You've not been negative at any point. And he said, Will, he looked at me, Will, negative doesn't work. Um, and <laughs> it's the same with politicians. In fact, yeah. it's quite a good parallel, isn't it? And we um, completely forget that, don't we, that they are people and I'm as guilty as the next person of just you know angry tweeting my MP or only contacting him when I want to berate him about something and uh, tell him how awful the party are and things like that and so um and that's not just from a very human perspective why would he then want to help me like because yeah. I'm always being horrible to him well not horrible to him but um yeah. and um so there's a great organisation I'm sure you've come across called Hope for the Future, who do some yeah, brilliant yeah. work with um, with people helping them to constructively engage with their MPs to build that really positive relationship. And I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast before, but somebody in my um, my membership community in the clubhouse, she she came on my carbon literacy course and she said, and we were talking about engaging with politicians, and she said, oh, I'm in a very safe Tory seat. He's um uh but she said I've got a brilliant relationship with him and he comes to all of our like climate and eco events and I was like how did you do that and she was like I was nice to him I was like yeah. whoa steady <laughs> yeah, yeah. um and and you kind of get it don't you because if if I said to my MP will you come and you know come to our eco event he'd be like no go away whereas Lindsay's MP is like oh that's Lindsay she's congratulated me on this and she's told me how great I am for doing that and of course I'll come and help you out Lindsay and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> yeah and it doesn't it doesn't stop you being gritty and pointing out where things could be better so if you're in your angry angry tweet you started by saying 
I see you've done this thing, however small it might be. Um, congratulations for that. Mm. And then you went on to say, but, you know, and and had exactly the same content as you had in your yes. angry tweet, but just expressed differently, make a huge difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, but the, you know, here I am saying um, most politicians are decent people. Um, there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast who'll, who'll want to throw something at, at me. Um, but look at it this way. If you if you find that all really unconvincing and politicians, you know, can't be trusted and self-serving and so on, you have to you have to remember that government spends more than 40 percent of everything that's spent in the country. Wow. Um, because that's how much tax they take. And actually, obviously, when they're borrowing money, it's even more. And so it has more buildings to heat. It consumes more energy generally. It has more people working for it. It buys more than anything. If you think of all the hospitals, the schools, think of the cars they run, this is the biggest consumer in the country. Um, there, there are large companies. They're nowhere near as big. Mm. So imagine if the government became sustainable-ish, even, in, even only in its, in its own spending. Forget what it does otherwise. Um, but otherwise, of course, on top of that huge spending, it passes laws and it applies regulations. And they have a huge impact on how sustainable we actually can be as individuals, but companies yeah. too. You know, take the very simple example of single use plastic. Government regulation can make an, a level playing field there for businesses so that it, it's moved out far more quickly than it otherwise would be. They can, they can through their regulation, um, they can uh, make the whole place more environmentally friendly overnight. So they have these massive powers. And if you if you don't like politicians, you still have to get out there and vote to get the best yeah. people in to deal with these things, both the spending and the, and the laws and regulations. And that the, the like the single use plastic regulations you referred to then. My perception is they only come about because of the huge increase in kind of public demand and awareness, uh, you know, that that started i think off largely off the back of the sort of blue planet 2 programs from david attenborough and things so so i always use that as a real example for how um public demand public awareness public um lobbying campaigning that has that has caused a shift in in policy and in regulation um and we can you know complain that that's never enough and all those sorts of things but but it it does show how they do well, they can at times follow uh, the the sort of what the public are asking for. What um, you know, you you were saying about like just just imagine, and I often think it's like just imagine if those those people in power had their eco epiphanies like you and I have had, and and decided like right, come on, let's let's do this. That just feels so impossible at the moment in the in the with the sort of current landscape. How optimistic do you feel about that that change happening um well as you said earlier they they won't do things that they don't think have votes in them mm. um and and are popular uh and so far we don't have enough people who feel that this is such an important um issue as, as you mm. know I know that everyone listening to the podcast feels it is um so that needs to change. Voters, voters need, but it's happening quite fast. Um, and then the politicians themselves, of course, as you said, they're people and they have children. Yeah, and some of them have grandchildren, <laughs> um, and and they 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 can read and see and understand just as much as any of the rest of us in terms of the risks we're taking by delaying action. Mm. Uh, so they, you know, in their beating hearts, um, they 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 know, and they and they they'll have that unease that so many of us have, that we're kind of often living just as though there wasn't a big problem. Um, so it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. We need to lead them. I mean, as you say, the plastic example is a really good one. We need to lead them, and um, maybe we start with specifics that get bigger and bigger. Um, and 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 so it becomes something because the politician will often say to you, OK, fine, I heard everything you say. What would you exactly like me to do? Mm. Um, and and then you can give them something concrete that they can work on. 
but and that's in the... I think that's part that's what hope for the future talk about I think a little bit isn't it that we very or I I will very often write to them with very broad um I want you to be taking more climate action mm. and as you say when they say okay what and um uh, so are there specific asks that we should be you know that that like real you know smart goal actionable stuff that they can go away and and do I think um I think it, it it's helpful but it's not the answer so maybe for example there might be a local issue um, mm. there's a river that's really polluted or some other issue like that and you can you can get their attention with that but ultimately, these are really complicated policy issues. And you and I, and nearly everyone, can't possibly help to give them the, the macro policy issue, policies that they need. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know of Green Alliance, but Green Alliance is a is a policy, climate policy organization. And they they do, they have a obviously a big team of researchers, and they probably can advise government on right. policy. But we can't. Yeah, funnily enough, they're not going to listen to me. <laughs> so, so we can we can help them with with just inspiring them with the local river or whatever. Mm. Um, but they need they need to think about and use their you know very large number of civil servants to help mm. work out what precisely the the policies should be. Um, you know, should there be a carbon tax? Well, I don't know. I mean, it sounds mm. like a good idea on the face of it, but. You know, I've, I really don't know, um, mm. but they have the means to to work out whether that and other ideas are good ones. Yeah, yeah. And what's the response been? So you, I love the what you were saying about that. We don't just go to them and say we've got twelve thousand people. We go to them and say we've got Jen Gale in Warminster, and she said this, and this is look, this is her, and this or this is her with her kids, or this is you know, and and, and so presumably, if people can add those extra details on when they're leaving the commitment, that kind of real heartfelt message about why this, why people feel this important, this is important, the picture, the, all those sorts of things that, that helps humanize these things and helps people, helps the politicians to make those very in, you know, um, we're as, as uh, human beings, we're very hardwired to stories, aren't we? And if we can have those stories and we can connect with those people that, that uh, there's something in that that makes us more likely to act. But what has been the response? Have you been able to sort of go to individual politicians and say, look at this, like, or is that in something that you're planning to do? No, we have done that. And and as you say, it's again, it's treating politicians as as humans, whole humans. Um, people mostly appeal to their heads with their arguments. Um, they give them numbers. They They probably don't tell very good stories. They might tell some. Um, but the whole thing is is reasoned and um kind of over rational um when of course they're they're as susceptible and respond as well as anyone else to stories as mm. you say um but jen maybe this is the time uh for me to be cheeky um dear podcast listeners i have agreed this with jen <laughs> our biggest challenge um in gathering commitments and th this is the thing we need more than anything else we need people to make the commitment because it gives us what we need to take to politicians We've we've found one thing really consistently, which is that if you ask people to make the commitment or you tell them about it and they they're really enthusiastic and and they 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 say they're going to do it, um, if they do it there and then, that's fantastic. Um, they go through the process and they and they press the submit button and it's done. If they don't do it there and then, um, somewhere we don't know exactly, obviously, but somewhere between we reckon eighty and ninety percent of people don't do it. They get really distracted. They've got loads of other things on their mind. Something happens, you know. Their 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 child suddenly needs them. They 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 spill the milk, you know. Whatever happens, and and um and so here's here's the request. It, it's this, and you've heard us talking for ages anyway. So this is probably. <laughs> Um, we want to run an experiment, and that's to invite you, wonderful listeners, to to pause your podcast. Um, it'll probably be three or four minutes, I don't know. And then go to um, thecommitment.uk, click on the Make Your Commitment button, which you'll find everywhere, and do it. Um, and then come back when you're done and and uh, take your take your three or four minutes um and and uh, oh, and Jen has promised, by the way, 
that the podcast will be shorter than usual. So your total commitment to this podcast, sorry about the commitment thing, your total commitment to this podcast will be the same as it would have been if we hadn't had this wonderful pause. So, so it's um, www.thecommitment.uk? That's correct. Okay, so stop what you're doing, whether you're walking the dog, you know, cooking dinner, whatever it is, whatever you do when you're normally listening to podcasts, press pause, stop what you're doing now, go to www.thecommitment.uk, hit the button to make the commitment, fill in as many details as you, um, I mean, what's the, what's the best thing, Will? Is it like just getting a commitment, I guess, if people have to like, well, I've only got one minute, hit the button, that's great. If you've got a little bit, a few extra minutes, pop in the picture, pop in the 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 story, all that sort of thing. Is that where we're at with this? Well, to 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 impress the politicians and and actually to give people an opportunity to express themselves, you you need you have to do two things to make a commitment. One is to um to to agree, which is ticking a box effectively, that you commit to voting, as I've said. Then the other is to say why you're doing it. So you do need to oh, okay, do, do the both things. Say why you're doing it. I'm and we should have said it. actually what we're, we're we're asking. The commitment is committing to vote for politicians with um, ambitious who will climate only, action. Who will only work? Who will work for urgent action on the climate and nature? But okay. it's there. You'll see it's there when you go to the to the website. Okay, Fab. So we want you to pause if you're driving. We did discuss this, didn't we? Well, like if people are driving. Wait till you find a safe space to um to to pull over, or this might be that you may be the exception that you have to wait until the end of your journey to do it, so nobody gets um arrested for using their phone in a layby or whatever. Um, but uh, for everybody else, pause, stop what you're doing, go and make the commitment, and we will see you back here in three or four minutes' time. Right, we're back. Um, if you haven't done it, again, hit pause and and go off and do it. But um. It was really interesting, Will, when before we hit record, you were saying that, and I felt quite smug because you were like, you're quite unusual, Jen, because I, I think, I don't, I don't know how you know that that I sort of saw it and then went and did it. But I'm, I'm, I, I know myself too well that if I don't, it's like if I get an email from school, I have to reply or fill out the form or do it whatever straight away. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. So and I know that if I don't do stuff straight away and then and then you were actually able to see that I'd shared it and that you had a, a surge is probably too grand a term for it but you had people coming to the website and you could almost sort of track them back from from like one person sharing it so it does make a difference doesn't it if people do it and then share it with other people as well yeah it really does people people do things when people they love or trust or both ideally um suggest that they might do do them um and in your case of course large numbers of people probably love you but but certainly trust you and and um and and yes so so we had a surge let's call it a surge um, <laughs> you're being very kind i suspect it was about three people <laughs> what's it was 27 oh what's, there we what, go which is a lot um what's interesting about that surge is that we are convinced that if everyone had done what jen did and paused it would have been over 200 um, wow that's the power of this. It, there's lots of psychology, of course, in it, but it's really obvious to, to anyone that they're distracted and have m- many, many claims on their attention. So yes. um, it's not surprising. Yeah. So so um, hit pause, do the commitment um, and then and then share the fact that you've done it with other people. And let's see if we can um, you know, generate some ripples and um, get some other people um, signing it. What? So you're at 12,000 at the moment. Where do you do you have a sense of where what that number needs to be in order for politicians to start going oh oh. Well, it's it, we we're not working on everyone. So we're working on politicians who we think are particularly likely to listen to us. Mm. Um so funnily enough, one of the groups is the are the politicians who already think this is really important and are already going to work for urgent action. Because what they need is they need ammunition to take, they need evidence to take to their, um, to, to other politicians who are more yeah. sceptical. And, and so, and of course, they're, they're an audience that's likely to pay attention. So if we can take commitments to enthusiasts, as mm. we call them, um, then, then uh, they, can, they can spread the word. And of course, again, on the love and trust basis, I don't know how much politicians love 
each other, but some of them trust each other. Um, and, and they're far uh, more likely to listen to a fellow MP than they might be to listen to, you know, if you've got somebody who's who's not massively climate orientated, they're more likely to listen, as you said, to a to a, a trusted fellow MP than they are to, you know, a campaigning group who they might just sort of think, oh, gosh, it's, it's of course they're going to be saying that. Um, so that's really good, quite a, um, a clever approach, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Jen, even you, I think they're going to listen to you a bit less than their yeah. friend. <laughs> I think my MP just like all my emails just go straight into his bin now. <laughs> um, I'm on the blacklist. So so that's one group. And then there's another group, which is is those who already have quite a lot of power over, over these issues. They're close to policy and regulation um and and therefore have a disproportionate influence on what the government does um so that's the second group and then the third group is quite an obvious group but um really important in itself which is those who are threatened um because they're in seats that are predicted to be lost in the next election um so they are also uh, a, an interesting target and they're not so much a target personally as that, again, they will have influence because the party as a whole wants to do well. If it's going to lose seats at the margin, um, it's going to listen to the people who are um, mm. starting to, at, at risk of losing them. Um, yeah. So those are the primary groups that we that we work we work on. Amazing. And are you concerned about and this is probably going off on too political a tangent, but and I know you said you you work very hard to be apolitical that there does seem to be a desire in some areas of politics to make climate into a wedge issue, to make it a cultural issue, to make it, um, you know, climate is not, is is apolitical. It doesn't care what party you vote for or anything like it. The climate is changing um, uh, and all it cares about is, is what we do to reduce emissions. It doesn't care what party you vote for. Um, but are you concerned that, this sort of increase in politicization of it and the the sort of culture wars that seem to be being stoked around it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the US, um, and I think we still hear it here occasionally, there's this phrase, do you believe in climate mm. change? Uh, is it is it a matter of belief? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seems very strange when it's a matter of science. Yes. Um, and you can dispute the science, but it really isn't about belief. Mark um, Maslin's got a lovely bit in, um, he's a professor of, uh, I don't know what he's a professor of, but he's a climate scientist and he's got a bit in one of his books where he says, you can't pick and choose which bits of science you want to believe in. So you can't go on a uh, fly on holiday because you believe in the science that says a plane can take off the, you know, can, can take off a fly or you can't take antibiotics because you believe in that bit of science. Like you either believe in science or you don't. And climate science is science and as you said it, it's it's not a belief system so so but it's become a, obviously it's really polarized in, mm. in the states and and there is this really weird belief thing um over here um i suppose you have to say that almost anything big is politicized mm. so um it's in a way it's not surprising i mean almost everyone acknowledges that it's happening now so i mean really it's tiny minority in the uk that doesn't believe that believe sorry <laughs> uh, and it doesn't accept the science um but then of course there are a whole host of ways of responding to it you can say it's happening but it's not happening as badly as people thing and the science is a bit ambiguous it's very complex the science of course so you can you can find yourself an argument that says that or we can focus on mitigation um rather than going directly at, at emissions um and so there are, and and then that becomes polarized or we can defer or we you know all sorts of things that we can do while still saying for example we're we're going to hit our targets overall mm -hmm. um so I don't know that it's ever not been politicized. Um, we've just moved from a, a denial versus accepting group yeah. set of groups that was politicized. I think I think it always will be. Okay, so you're not overly. That's reassuring that you're not kind of overly overly concerned about it. No, I think pragmatic, Jen. I am, of course, concerned because if it's politicized in the sense that people then don't address it, yeah, 
um, they're the wrong people. Mm. Um, but but I think um, there is really never, I think, a, a big um, issue in politics that isn't isn't polarized or isn't um, a wedge issue. Yeah, I was listening to um, a- another podcast. And I wouldn't. It's not even a rival podcast because it's enormous. But outrage and optimism with. Um, Christiana Figueres and Tom River Karnak and um, Paul Dickinson and Paul Dickinson, yeah. a recent episode where they interviewed somebody in the States about the election that they've got coming up there and he their campaign which I think was so clever is to mobilize people who they already know are have climate as their number one concern but haven't vote and are registered to vote but haven't voted in the last couple of elections or whatever and and that like their analysis shows that those you know relatively few people when you think proportionally to the number of people in the US but that's enough to you know when you think the margins of election are are have been relatively narrow in the last couple of elections in the states and and that's in that would be enough I was like god it's so clever how people are looking at this in so many different ways and so many different ways of ensuring that our votes do have the power that that they should do and had you heard of that one yeah, no, we're really we're big fans of um, the Environmental Voter Project and and of Nathaniel Sinnott himself. And I heard that interview; he was really he good. He's great, wasn't, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and and over there, they they have a really useful record, which is uh, which is a public publicly available. It it says who voted and who didn't vote. Um, so in the case of the Environmental Voter Project, they're going to people who haven't voted, as you say, and they know who it is because it's on public record. Mm. We don't have that here, although we do. We ha- have an amazing group of people who make the commitment who are people who didn't vote last time, oh, okay. but by making the commitment, they're saying they're going to next yes. time. So that's a group that's, you know, fantastic for the politicians. Because voter apathy, I think, is a real danger, isn't it? And mm. and. Huge. I think I I was reading something about in the states. You know, there was a real concerted effort to get the the youth out to vote in the last election, to get the um, minorities out to vote, and and then there is this sense of um, I can't think of the right word, but then if so, then Biden got in, and but then there's a perception maybe he hasn't been as ambitious as they wanted him to, and there's lots of reasons why he hasn't been able to do that. And then they're like, well, what's the point? We didn't get what we wanted. Mm. So then, But then if they don't vote, then you get Trump back in. And to a certain extent, I think not not quite as extreme over here, but that I think there probably is an element of voter apathy of like, what's the point? Like the government um, don't listen, the government aren't gonna you know, move fast enough, or I can't, my vote won't make a difference. But it's really important that we all do go and cast our vote. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd you be interested, I think, in who was spending that 40%. And you'd be interesting, interested, I think, in, in how they apply the regulations, which are already in law, mm. but they have a choice as to how they apply them. Um, so even if you don't like them, it's back to what we were saying earlier. Um, there's still there are still people who are less bad than others. If that's mm. how you, that's how you're looking at it, depressingly. Um, I think just going back to the Environmental Voter Project, that there is it's always interesting to look at what's happening around you when you're doing things like this, because you certainly don't want to be duplicating what others are doing. It's best to get together. Um, but there's a new organisation called Vote Climate that has sprung up in the last I don't know six nine months and. They're, they've got exactly the same objective as we have and XR do. And, Is this and, the Greenpeace um, campaign? No, no, that's the that's no, it's not the Greenpeace one. Um, Vote Climate is is um, working in a in a similar, very analytical, very numbers based way as the Environmental Voter Project, but with the different data that we have, mm. and where we're working on individual politicians to use them as levers to um, shift larger numbers of politicians. What Vote Climate are doing is they are um, working on parties so they can show by by constituency um, how many members they have and how significant those members are in relation to the overall outcome of the election. So very similar principle mm. to what Daniel's doing. And and um, so if if you know any listener, if you're if you're thinking of making the commitment while you're about it, go to Vote Climate and join up there as well. Oh, okay, fabulous! With I'm loving having all these different calls to action, 
Um, I mentioned the Greenpeace campaign there and a few people have, have flagged that to me as well. Do you know much about is Operation Climate Vote? Is that right? It, it's called it's called Climate Vote. So, okay. um, yeah, it's called so, Climate, so climate Vote. Vote is what, what you were saying to go and um, sign up to. But then Greenpeace are doing a, a campaign that's got similar. Um, Greenpeace, the Greenpeace campaign is, is focusing very specifically on the next election. OK. Um, and it, it's it's different again. I mean, it, it's it's door to door. It's put posters up in your window, um, sign up to this kind of massive ideally um they're, they're saying they'd like to have a million mm. um, effectively i suppose a massive petition um so that's another you know that's another great initiative um yeah. so yeah but have a look at vote climate everyone uh, that's uh that's really interesting too i'll pop a link to that um in the website Okay, so we've got, hopefully people have already paused and gone and signed the commitment and we'll send them to have a little look at um, at Vogue Climate. Again, this might be outside of what you want to talk about, but there's been, you know, I've seen conversations on social media and things around tactical voting. And um, so potentially if we were all to vote for the party with the, the, the best environmental policy, perhaps that might be the Green Party. However, that might mean that, you know, a Tory MP gets back in rather than into a position where a a Labour one might and they have not as good policies as the Green, but better than the Tories and all those sorts of things. Do you have any any thoughts on that at all? Yes, uh, yes. Um, So there you are sitting in a constituency and it's got its own particular circumstances and you're wondering what to do. you've got you've got a number of choices the first one is to look at the politicians themselves the candidates and just decide which of them you think will individually do most um and and that's usually quite easy to do by looking at what they say um in hustings and on twitter and so on um sorry x and um As you said Twitter earlier jen yes i know to- I'm, I'm not sure what i'm supposed to refer to it as now <laughs> Um, and and so you can do that more frequently. You're probably going to want to use your vote for the party as opposed to the individual. And then, so going back to something very early on, if there's a party with a substantial majority who you think aren't going to do anything very good, then choose the. I would I would suggest what you might do is choose the party that has the strongest environmental uh, environmental policies, um, because. You, you don't want to vote for the first one and you want to register a kind of climate vote um, w- with with choosing the second. In the more kind of nuanced situation where there are two or sometimes even three, but let's say two parties that might win, you then um, have the choice of still registering your protest vote if you want to, but more interestingly maybe and more helpfully, you compare the policies of those parties that might win and then mm. you vote for that's that's uh, got the best ones so it might end up being the least bad rather than the best <laughs> or the um, sorry the um yeah they might not be the the best policies they might be like the um the, yeah. the best out of the the two that you've got to that are most likely to get in yeah yeah yeah, yeah and i think that'll happen a lot and and we we after um the may elections this year and last year we we sent a questionnaire around um in our newsletter to ask committers had they had they honoured their commitment, and if so, how? And they were using all three of these these um, okay. ways of looking at it, and and um, and incidentally, a really high proportion did honour their commitment, um, which was very you know it's great they hadn't forgotten about it. And that's really useful for you to then go to the politicians and say, look, we had, and because we've we've talked mostly about uh, you know this in the context of the election that's going to be coming up, the national election that's going to be coming up next year, but. How important are local elections? Those ones that there's usually very low turnout for that everyone's really bored by. But um, how important are they? They're really important. Um, the the I think the Climate Change Committee estimated that nearly a third of emissions are controlled directly and indirectly by local government. So if you really want to make sure you're covering all emissions mm. or nearly all, you you need to be voting in local elections. And they are really interesting because the turnout is low. Um, if so you your can, vote really could count there because the turnout really is low. count, 
Yeah. yeah, it really could count. I mean, there are often, you know, very few people between, very few votes between um, candidates who win in, in local council wards. Um, so, and that no, could be like your your town council elections, your county council elections. Um, there's there's lots of different tiers, aren't there? There are lots of tiers. Um, yeah, there are the unitary ones, which tend to be big areas. Um, then there are the metropolitan ones, which are big cities. Mm. Then there are the kind of conventional um county councils and yeah there are lots but it doesn't in a way matter you don't need to worry too much about that yeah. you just need to vote for the right people yes yeah 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 so so in making the commitment um thinking about not only the big election that's coming up but also thinking about any local elections that are happening and how how potentially even more important your or how much more your vote might count within those local elections as well and being, having that in mind and and voting um for the 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 devolved governments in Wales mm. and Scotland and Northern Ireland um, yeah. they too have a lot of power. Um, there's the story of the M4 in the, in um, in the south South Wales, which um, the the in Westminster they really wanted a, a, a sort of straightening stretch to be built, but unfortunately it went straight through some really wonderful biodiversity, um, and um, the Welsh government decided that they weren't going to build it. Um, and they had that power. And there's a lot of fuming and stamping and <laughs> protest in Westminster, but they had no control and, and the motorway wasn't built. It's, the it's... Welsh government have got this lovely Future Generations Act, haven't they, whereby yeah. um, any decisions that are made have to take into account the impact on future generations, which just feels so, like, why blindingly obvious why is that why does that have to be enshrined in law but the fact that they have um is starting to make a real impact isn't it in wales yeah and they have a minister don't they for, mm. for generations yeah. um i think i think something else is worth just touching on is it's not just about elections in fact i'm not sure we don't know quite yet i don't know how much it's about elections because once people are in power they've said they're going to do th things and obviously they need to be held to those things yeah or they need to be encouraged to be more courageous um and they need they need to have um they need to feel that people are watching them so mm. to speak um and and so we we um we very much have we haven't done it yet but we very much have in mind that after elections when all the fuss has settled down and someone's won that we'll go to the um, politicians, we'll say, well, this is the thing you just signed up to. Um, and we're really looking forward to seeing you do it. And then yes. a little bit later, go along and say, well, we've got a few more commitments now. Here they are. Um, and we notice you're a little bit behind. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of this is going to be actually much more quietly after after and between elections than, than just about the big the big event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you said you were you'd been sort of taking a you almost the, the sort of twelve thousand viewing that as a pilot and sort of taking a pause. Um, is there a, a you know a plan for a a, a big re relaunch or what's the what's the next steps for you guys? Obviously, after you've coped with the tsunami of commitments, you will get from people listening to uh, to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we um, I suppose the first thing we want to do is is not only see what what we've done well and less well. But also see what can be done with um, less resource or more resource. Um, so we don't quite know where we've got to with that. But yes, whatever the outcome, um, we'll we'll have as a central, obviously central target to 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 um, have more commitments and engage um, politicians, uh, impress them more, and and engage more. Um, but I can't give you an answer, Jen, because that would be <laughs> suggest that we've we've done the work and we we TBC to be confirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing! It's it's so interesting. I don't think we've oh we've had Sean Berry on. We have sort of talked politics a little bit before, but um, yeah, really. I mean, you said uh, to me before we started recording, you're like, is is go and vote one of the actions you talk about much on the website, and it isn't. And I'm really, um now super aware of that and I was kind of you know it was there in my mind before so it very often when we have what you know what's the most impactful thing you can do as individuals and we're talking about energy saving and we're talking about flying less and all those sorts of things and, and we forget about the conversations and the voting and the the things like that but they are um 
just as if not more that more important than those sort of very individual um, inwardly focused actions we can do anything we can do to to look more outwards to connect with more people to um, inspire and create ripples and things I think is is absolutely enormous and and this I think is is one of those things because not only can we do it but then we can share it with other people and and you know have a little personal challenge to see how many people we can get signed up and doing it as well and, and a great excuse for a conversation with somebody isn't it like oh I've just signed this thing called the commitment that because I'm really worried and I really want the government to be taking more action like would you be interested in doing that that feels like quite a, a gentle end to a conversation so um yeah fingers crossed um so yeah go and sign the uh take the make the commitment and then check out climate vote as well you said didn't you which are or, no vote which one is it's it? called vote climate vote climate vote climate i'll get that right i'll put it on the on the website um and uh share 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 as much as as much as we can Yes, and feel hopeful about politicians. They're not as bad as you might think. Um, and they really care what you think. So um, go for it. And uh, if you haven't made the commitment yet, well, this is your chance, obviously. Amazing. Brilliant. Thank you so much, um, Will, for all that you're doing and um, for your time coming and, and sharing this with us today. Thank you, Jen. It's been a great pleasure. Right then. Inevitable first question for me, have you done it? Have you made the commitment? If not, pause now and go and do it. It literally takes minutes. And if you're anything like me, if you don't do it now, it won't happen because life will intervene and the moment will be lost. I absolutely love what this project is doing and how cleverly strategic they're being with the MPs that they're engaging with. And I also, I think I kind of love William's reminder to us that MPs, at least most of them, are people and that if we can engage with them on that basis, then we're much more likely to be able to develop a constructive relationship with them. We mentioned Hope for the Future in the chat and I've linked to them in the show notes. They're absolutely on my wish list for guests for 2024, as I think that their approach and the support that they give people to help them engage constructively with their MPs really is amazing. So do check them out, but only after you've made your commitment, of course please do get in touch and let me know if you make the commitment. Let's see if we can smash that 27 who signed up after I shared on social media earlier this year. And then do share on your own social channels too. Let people know that you've done it and really importantly, let them know why you've done it. Share your story because as we discussed in the episode, that's what we relate to as human beings. We relate to stories. Tell yours. Okay, I really hope you've done the commitment now because I'm getting a bit bored of telling you and and hopefully you're getting bored of me saying it because you've gone and done it. So uh, onwards with this week's good news. First up, this is from Positive News and it was in their brilliant Positive News advent that they're doing on Instagram with an amazing good news story every day up until Christmas. Uh, And the story from earlier on this week was that electric vehicles have outsold diesel cars for the first time in the EU. So according to the European Automobile Manufacturers Association, 1.2 million new EVs were registered in the block between January and October, an increase of 53.1% compared to the same period of 2022. It goes on to say that all told, EVs accounted for 14% of new registrations. Diesel cars, which once upon a time made up half of all new registrations, have slumped to just 12% of the share. So they say it's good news for the climate and air quality, although acknowledging, of course, that EVs do, of course, come with their own set of environmental problems. So they're not really um, a magic bullet, but they are very definitely a step in the right direction. Closer to home in the UK, and this is from The Guardian, more UK universities are cutting their ties with fossil fuels. Student pressure has pushed higher education institutions to commit to divesting uh, their pensions and their investments from fossil fuels. So they say in the article that the student network People and Planet has published its Sustainability University League, which I think anybody with young people heading off to university should be checking out showing that 72% of the universities it surveyed have committed to divesting their investments and pensions from fossil fuels, up from 65% last year. So Jack Ruan, the university league manager at People and Planet, said that there had been progress, but much more needed to be done, as is always the case, I think. He said that we are seeing much higher engagement from a broad range of universities, including the Russell Group, which is 
I think, the most prestigious group of universities in the UK because universities recognise that students are increasingly demanding their institutions are run sustainably and ethically. Now, NB, I've put in my notes, NB, it's not just universities' investments and pensions that could be propping up the fossil fuel industry. Yours could be too. So do check out episode 91 with Make My Money Matter for more on this and really importantly, what you can do about it. And finally, and even closer to home as we usually do, Libby in my Sustainable-ish Clubhouse shared what she described as not a big win, but I have to say I would beg to differ. So Libby says, yesterday a local business offered out three bike racks on my free cycle site and I quickly bagsied them. I love that phrase, bagsied them. Um, She says, a few messages and emails later and two local businesses will have these new, brackets old, bike racks, allowing their staff and customers to cycle to them instead of driving. I absolutely love this one, Libby. Okay, so that's it from me for this episode and indeed for 2023 and the return of the podcast. So I will be back, I promise, in 2024 uh, in January. No guarantees yet as to what the date will be, but as soon as I can get my act together in the new year, the podcast will be back. Um, Thank you so much for all your support and all your lovely comments with the return of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing. If you want to give me a Christmas present, why would you want to? But if you did, a rating and a review, unsurprisingly, would be amazing to see. So a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast, uh, sharing it with family and friends, it absolutely really does help. So thank you so much to those of you who have already done that. Um, Another lovely Christmas present would be to know that people have listened to this episode and have gone and have made that commitment. Um, So again, please do let me know. I I absolutely love hearing from you. So do drop me an email, jen at sustainableish co.uk and all that remains for me to say is to have a very happy Christmas a very happy holidays um I hope you get a chance to relax and take a bit of a break and I will see you again in the new year take care